Good morning. My name's Bethany, and it's my pleasure to lead, to read to you from God's Word um, today. And our first reading this morning is from Isaiah, written about 700 years before Jesus was born, but pointing us to the kind of life that he leads us to. Isaiah chapter 61, verses 10 and 11. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness as a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. For as the soil makes the sprout come up and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. And our second reading today is from Paul's letter to the Colossians and outlines the kind of life we can strive for because we know who Jesus is and what he has done. Colossians 3 verses 1 to 17. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Good morning. My name's Stephen. I'm uh, one of the ministers here. And I, I have this weird thing about me where I don't particularly smell bad after exercise. Kathy, my wife, didn't really want me to talk about this, but here I am. I'm going to be talking about it. I, I did this um, park run the other day and it was really hard work. And, and I said to Kathy, my wife, afterwards, I said, smell my shirt. I think it smells better than when I started the park run. She wasn't impressed by my boasting, and uh, she thinks I'm a bit of a freak, actually. I think it's a bit of a superpower. But anyway, if the conditions are right, I know what it's like to be a mere mortal, or the conditions are wrong, depending on how you look at it. I know what it is like to, to, to sweat and to smell bad after exercise. Like, I remember playing soccer 
when it was really hot and really humid and you'd end the game with mud and sweat and some of your blood on your shirt and some of someone else's blood on your shirt. And then you'd head to the shower afterwards and, and you literally, I'm sure you've had this experience, literally had to peel the shirt off your body. And you have a shower at those kind of times and you feel amazing. You feel like a new man. And what do you put on after the shower? No one who's just had a shower is going to happily pick up that putrid, disgusting shirt, kind of wring it out a little bit, and then stick it back onto their clean body. Who would do that? And we're up to a, a part of Paul's letter to the Colossians where he says to us today, we're a new person. The old person has died. And so he says to us that we should get rid of what belongs to the old person. We shouldn't go back to it. Instead, he says, we should actually clothe ourselves in new clothes. You can see that here. He says, in compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. These are the kind of clothes that we should clothe ourselves in. What do these things remind you of? Compassion, kindness, gentleness, patience, humility. This is the character of Christ, isn't it? What we see today is that our faith in Christ gives us a, a connection to Christ that is so strong that it, it shapes our identity. And our identity in Him shapes our character and our character, a character like His, shapes our conduct and our conduct shapes our community. just going to hand this over and see if these guys can get it to work. Thank you. That's what we're going to see today. This is the way the power of Christ works for real in our lives. And it's something we shouldn't take for granted. You know, think about our world. It's desperately seeking identity, but, but not really finding what it's looking for. Our world is, is in many ways lacking in character and is self-orientated in conduct. And it's almost non-existent in real deep community. But what Christ is doing is might, in us might appear small, but it's actually amazing and it's powerful. So we're going to start at the beginning of this chapter and we're going to see what Christ is doing in us. And it all comes from what he's already done in us. That's all right, guys. If you can't get to work, I can just um, ask you guys to change to the next slide. <laughs> it might be the batteries in that as well. Is the light on? In it? it is. Okay, there you go. All right, we're going to start at the beginning. If you've got your Bibles there, that's another way, or your phones. Um, have a look at 3 verse 1. This is where we see what Christ is doing us in us and what he's already done in us. Paul says to them, Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above. Now this is our first point. Set your hearts on things above. Since we've been raised with Christ. This, this means right now we're forgiven by God because of Christ. We're not facing judgment. We're only facing eternal life. Since we've been raised with Christ like this, how should we live? What sort of lives should we live? We should live as those who seek the things above. Now, let's be honest, that sounds a little bit like Yoda, doesn't it? You know, raised you are, 
things above than seek. It, it sounds kind of mysterious, sort of mystical. But it's not actually all that mysterious. Have a look again at verse 1. Because we are to set our hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. This is all about Christ seated and ruling, supreme over his creation, supreme over creation's reconciliation. In other words, since Christ really is our life, our forgiveness and reconciliation, of course we should seek the things that are centered on him and his rule. Our life is now bound up with Christ and so our hearts should be with him too. And also our minds. Look at verse 2. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. We find out very quickly in verse 5 what Paul means by earthly things. And he means things that Christ doesn't love. Our hearts and minds should be with Christ now and not with things he hates. Now this makes sense when you sort of step back and think about it. Now if you're getting married in a week, where should your heart and mind be? Hopefully with the person that you're about to marry. Now imagine the person you're about to marry is is a completely normal person and they hate rats. In that week before you're about to get married, would you think to yourself, you know what I should do? I should get a pet rat. Now, if your heart and mind is with that person, you just that's just not going to happen. You're probably not even going to buy a bath towel or a washer without thinking of that person, let alone a pet rat. We've got an even greater reason for setting our hearts and minds on Christ and his rule than getting married. It's not because this will claw us up the ladder and make us more acceptable to God. It's the opposite. It's because we're already acceptable to God. Look at verse 3. Paul writes, For you died. That's, that's our past. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. That's our present. We've already made it. We're already acceptable to God. In verse 4, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. That's our future. Our past, present and future are all completely safe with Christ. We're forgiven, we're reconciled, we'll live forever with Christ in a world where there'll be no evil. And this is all guaranteed to us because of Christ. But Paul's point here is that it it doesn't always feel or appear that way, does it? Where's your life right now? Hidden. In Christ. Where will your life one day be? Well, when Christ appears and everyone sees him for who he really is, creator, saviour, ruler of all, then we also will be seen for who we really are. Those who get to share in his glory, all because of him. Paul's point is, we are that right now. We are the most privileged select chosen group of people that they'll ever be in this world it's sort of hard not to smile and laugh as you say that because it doesn't feel like it it sounds ridiculous but it's true we're only this because of christ and at the moment we're only this hidden in christ 
But there will be a day where we will see and where the world will see us for who we really are. And so since you've been raised with Christ, since that's who you really are, set your heart on things above. In other words, be who you really are. Sally said it before, the the spirit of our times says to us that to be your authentic self, you you need to look within and, and be true to yourself. But Christ says to be your authentic self, you need to look to him. Do you see the difference? I mean, they're, they're radically different. My friend um, Arcos Balog, he went to the Byron Bay um, Writers' Festival recently, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, he went there because the theme for the, the festival was radical hope. And so he thought he'd go and he'd see what some of the key thinkers and, and influencers and writers in our society had to say about radical hope. And he said one of the things that they said was that you need to be your authentic self if you're to have any hope. And Arcos, he was struck by just how weak and, and fragile the, the hope on offer was. You know, are the problems in this world really because not enough of us have looked deeply within ourselves? Is that why we have the problems in this world? Are the solutions to the problems in this world really going to be found as we truly, deeply look within ourselves and be our authentic selves? Haven't we had millennia of doing this? You know, if we set out our hearts and minds on self, what always flows from that, always flows from that, is a weak and fragile identity that's easily lost, easily overturned, has to be defended from everyone else, argued for. But this kind of identity, from this kind of identity, flows a character that is ultimately self-referencing. And conduct that's ultimately self-orientated, self-centered, it can't be anything else. And to this way of being will eventually flow God's anger. What we have in Christ is something completely different, something powerful. From faith in Christ flows a secure, perfect identity. And from this flows a character that's God-referencing. Conduct that's other-person-orientated, other-person-centered. And to this way of being will eventually flow glory. So just before we move on, are you setting your heart and mind on Christ or on self? What do you think about What shapes how you spend your time? What is the strongest influence on the decisions that you make? What's your life direction and goal? You know, what matters to you? What comforts you in your sadness? Reassures you in your fears? And lifts you up in your failures? Is it Christ? Does he have your heart and your mind? Now remember, this is about being who we already are because of Christ. Being who we already are. 
And so really, the, the next question we need to ask is, what does this look like? What does it look like to be raised with Christ and to set our hearts and minds on things above? And we start to see what this looks like in verse 5. Have a look at it with me. Paul writes, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Now this is, this is our second point. Since you've been raised with Christ, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature. And if we're wondering what Paul means by our earthly nature, he gives us five examples, five examples to start with in verse 5. He writes, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Now, most of these five things, if not all of them, they have sexual overtones. Sexual immorality literally means any sex outside of marriage. Impurity is is probably casting the net even wider to that, to mean any sexualized behavior outside marriage. Lust and evil desires are probably still following this train of thought, casting the net even wider. And even greed is literally covetousness here. It's wanting something or someone that's not ours to want. Setting our hearts and and minds on Christ means putting to death what doesn't belong under his rule. Whatever, whatever that might be, that doesn't belong to who we are anymore. It sounds a bit brutal, don't you reckon? Put it to death. And maybe it sounds a bit confusing. Maybe, you know, it feels like you've been invited around to someone's place for a roast dinner. And they meet you at the door with a knife and introduce you to Daisy. And you think, what? I agreed to dinner, not this. Can't you just kill the cow for me? Does it feel a bit like that for you? Why do I need to put to death sexual immorality? Can't Christ just do that for me? Why me? But this is about identity. Christ has died for us, he's raised us, he lives and he rules for us. We live in him, we're forgiven, reconciled, we're a completely new person in him. But yes, that means we need to live as the person we now are. It's our identity. And in a tiny, tiny sense, you you see this in marriage. Marriage, in a a tiny, tiny way, makes you a new person. At least it it makes you not a bachelor or a bachelorette anymore, right? You You can't just leave the dishes undone for a week when you're married, like I used to do. You can't just leave the toilet uncleaned for a year, like I've heard has been done, not me. Flushing the toilet does not count as cleaning the toilet when you're married. If you're not going to be home that night, you can't just not tell anybody. You need to communicate that. Now, these things, they don't make you married, do they? But because you're married, you live the married life. Who is going to say, oh, I thought someone else was going to do that for me? The same power of God that was at work raising Christ from the dead is now at work in us 
moving our hand to put to death what doesn't belong in us. And do you see how extraordinary this is? Because of who we now are in Christ, because of his power at work within us, we can actually put to death the things Christ hates. We can actually defeat in our lives the things that stand against him. This is a a fight that will go on until Christ appears. But nonetheless, as we set our hearts and minds on Christ, we can actually get on with winning in these areas. A few of us here, we've got a, a, a friend who became a Christian recently. And he's just moved in the last couple of weeks to Barcelona in Spain. He's living in a share house and he's making new friends there. But he he says it's intense. He said to to me, these people are all about the hookup culture. They're relentless. They're constantly maneuvering and maneuvering him and each other for sex. And he's tried to explain to them that he's not into that. But he said he's getting roasted. The powerful norm of of this world is actually an approach to sex that's self-centered. The powerful norm of this world is that porn is not seen as impurity or lust. It's seen as natural, normal. And to try and break free of lust, porn, self-centered sexual pursuit is seen as unnecessary, impossible, hopeless even harmful. But think about this. In Christ, we really can beat these things. Not because of our own power, but because of Him. The power of Christ changes our sex lives. Not by zapping us so that we no longer struggle with it, but by causing us to be willing to take up the struggle and to put to death in ourselves what doesn't belong. Where you you see a community of faithful marriages and a community of faithful celibacy and singleness, don't ever take that for granted. That is not a small victory. That is God's power at work amongst us. Now, we might think, why does Paul go to sex first? You know, of all the things he could go to, why go to sex well, the reason Paul does this, the reason the Bible talks so much about sex, is it's, be- it's because it's a key part of who we are. It's an extremely good and powerful gift from God that's close to our identity. And living for self-indulgent pleasure is, is the basic alternative to living for God. It's the basic alternative identity we can take on. And so as we find our identity in Christ, then we're called back to his created intention for sex. This is actually about saying yes to Christ in how he wants to rule things. And his intention for sex is for it to be a wonderful and powerful gift within marriage. And so being who we are means setting our hearts and minds on Christ, which means setting our hearts and minds on destroying within ourselves any twisting, corruption, spoiling, of sex and we can do this we can do this because of what christ has done for us but you know what i hear from time to time 
I hear a kind of resignation to sexual impurity among followers of Jesus. Do you hear this as well? It's as if because the culture we're, we're in can't, isn't really going to change, we think we can't really fight this sometimes. Can't change our culture and so it's inevitable that we'll just follow our culture. Porn can't be defeated in our lives. Teenagers can't realistically be expected to live sexually faithful lives, can they? Engaged couples can't really wait till marriage. Singles can't choose faithful celibacy and and find a sense of fulfillment in that. This kind of thinking is not at all setting our minds and hearts on Christ. A while back... Someone in our church here had a, a, a rat problem in their house because they owned chooks. Now, it was terrible for them, this problem. I've got to say that up front. But I've got to admit, it was actually great for me. Every week, I found myself hanging out for the latest instalment of the epic saga that they had to get rid of the rats. At first, they cleared the entire garage and, and they cleaned up the, the mess that they found there. It was disgusting. And they placed baits out and they thought they were done. But no, they were not done. The next week, there was another instalment. It turns out the rats had moved somewhere else, under the house, in a really hard-to-reach place. And they'd come up through the holes in the floor at night and party in the kitchen and they could hear them. They could find evidence of them eating their food in the pantry. In fact, they could just turn the light on and watch them scurrying away. And so the battle got really serious at this point. But you know what they never did? They never decided to just live with the rats, share their home with them, adopt them into their family, share their pantry, let them lick their faces at night as they slept. (laughs) Why not? Because they saw rats for what they are disgusting, disease-carrying pests that will take over your life if you don't deal with them. And so they waged war on the rats. And I can tell you, week by week, it was like warfare, where they tried one thing, then another, and there were these decisive moments of victory at time. But for the most part, there was just the ongoing war of attrition, rat by rat being put to death. Until eventually, after a couple of months, the the weekly instalments were getting really boring because they were clearly winning the fight. But here's the thing. Every chook owner already knows this or will soon know this. The price for freedom from rats is constant vigilance. I've got three baiting stations that I constantly maintain. And the day that I think that living with rats is okay is the day that I start losing the war. Now, the power of Christ works in us. We're raised with Christ. And so until we die or Christ appears, we go on being who we are, and this means we put to death whatever doesn't belong within us anymore. And sometimes it's like all-out warfare, where we have moments of great victory, More often than not, it's like ongoing war of attrition. 
but it is always constant vigilance. This is what it means for us to be who we are in Christ. From putting to death the twisting of sex, Paul moves on to another list of examples of things that no longer belong to us. In verse 8 he says, Now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other. You can probably see this this list here is is particularly characterized by speech. Angry words, they're to be put away from us. Words spoken in rage, words spoken with a desire to harm another person. Words spoken behind someone's back to be put away. Words spoken that that are disrespectful, dishonest. They're to be put away because they don't belong to us anymore. And maybe to you this seems like a small thing, like a trivial thing, or maybe to our world it seems like a a small thing. You know, of all the problems in the world, all the problems of humanity, why would the power of God target our speech? Well, again, it's because speech is close to our identity. We're made as sexual beings, but we're also made as, as speakers, conversation partners with God and with each other. And in fact, our words can do great harm. They can either be brought under Christ's rule and do amazing good, or we can tear people down. Now, I keep trying to point out to my kids that with our our words and actions, we can fill a cup slowly, slowly, drip by drip in another person. But with our words, we can empty that cup in just an instant. Just a word or two spoken selfishly can even destroy a life altogether. And so where you see Christians rid themselves of anger and rage and malice and slander and filthy language, lies, this is not a small thing. This is the power of God at work in us, in our lives. And as we put these sorts of things away from us, we're actually becoming more and more like God. Look at Verse 9, where we see this. Paul writes, Since you've taken off your old self with its practices, we did that when we came to Christ, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge, in the image of its creator. We're becoming like Christ. Our new self, it's not found by looking within ourselves. Our new self is found in Christ. Look at verse 11. It sort of feels a bit odd, like what's it doing here when you first read it? But have a look at it, a closer look. Paul writes, Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all, and Christ is in all. Are you an Australian? Are you an immigrant? Are you old? Or young, rich or poor? Do you think of yourself as white collar or blue collar, gay, straight, male or female or trans? Do you think of yourself as a new Christian or an old Christian? None of these things are your identity when you've come to Christ. None of them. None of these things define you now. Now, Christ is 
all. Which means all the other potential identities that I could have are just empty compared to Him. And they are brought under His rule. And we read Christ is in all, which means as we look around at each other, as we see each other and value each other, it's now based on each one of us belonging to Christ. And this really brings us to our last point. Since you've been raised with Christ, clothe yourself. Clothe yourself with what belongs to the new self. So what does it it mean that Christ is all and is in all? Well, look at verse 12. Paul writes, Therefore, as God's chosen people, that's who we are already, that's what it means. Holy and dearly loved, that's our identity right now, Clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. This is the idea that we started today with. We're a new person. The old person has died. So we should clothe ourselves, clothe the new person in new clothes, not with the old clothes. And what we should clothe ourselves with is the character of Christ. Christ, compassionate, kind, humble, Gentle and patient. This is his character. A couple of times recently, I've been chatting with people who were fairly recently come to Christ, to have faith in Christ. And as the conversation's gone on, I've had the joy of pointing out to them some of the changes that I've seen in them over the months. I said to one guy, I've noticed the way that you don't talk over the top of people anymore. You listen to them now. And it was kind of really nice because he said, oh yeah, I hadn't really noticed that about myself. But I'd got to spot it. And I told him, you're not as proud as you used to be. Not as superficial as you used to be. There's a growing depth to you. Another time I said to someone else, I've noticed about you, you're still a joker. You're still funny. You still like to have a laugh with people. But you're more sensitive of people in how you do that. You're more sensitive of how they're feeling, more considerate. These are real differences that I'd seen in people. And do, on the one hand, we might think these sorts of things, they're just small changes, aren't they? But they're not. They're evidence of us being raised with Christ, which we don't tend to notice in our own lives, but we can sometimes see in others. They're the power of God at work in our lives. Because of Christ... We really can clothe ourselves with his character, with the character of Christ. From our identity flows our sharing of his character. And from our character flows our conduct. Set your hearts on Christ and your character and your conduct will be changed. Little bit, little bit, but the overall difference is huge. And there's one more thing that will be changed And that's our community. Have a look at verse 13. Paul writes, Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. For a long while now, our world has been on about tolerance, hasn't it? Have you noticed that? Particularly in the West. Has that made us a more tolerant place? You know, sadly, what we see in our world is, is very little bearing with one another, hardly any forgiving one another. 
But we're called to be a community here that's so different to that. We're called to forgive each other just like Jesus forgave us. This is what it means to be raised with Christ. It's powerful. Who or, or what else in this world could actually have the power to change humans like that so that they would forgive like Jesus forgives? Nothing else. No one else. And it doesn't mean that it's easy in this life, but this is who we are now. This is our character, our conduct. In our community, we forgive like Christ. Christ's vision for humanity, it's not a small thing at all. My vision for myself when I look within, that is a small thing. Your vision too. When we look within, it's, it's kind of a petty thing, but not Christ's vision for us. Look at verse 14. Paul writes, And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect hum- unity. Christ's vision for humanity is, is one where absolutely everything we do is shrouded with love, encompassed by love, real love. This is all a human is intended to be, and, and this is who we already are in Christ. Day by day, he gives us the power to keep clothing ourselves with his kind of love. Now, as we, as we finish up, do you feel, from what we're looking at here in Colossians, a mix of, on the one hand, encouragement, but also do you feel the, the challenge of this? Because until Christ appears, it, it is a challenge. It's a challenge to be who we are. It really is an effort and we need to turn back to it constantly because we keep failing at it. It's not done in our power, it's done in God's power. It's only done as we we set our hearts and minds on on Christ. But we are involved in this. It's our hearts, our minds that, that we can set on Christ or we can set on something else. We need to keep putting to death what doesn't belong to us. We need to keep clothing ourselves with Christ's character as he enables us by his power to keep doing this. We need to do this. And the other and the final thing we see here is that we need each other to do this too. Look at verse 16. Paul writes, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another. Paul is saying we need the gospel message of Christ to live among us flamboyantly, lavishly. And that will happen as we teach each other, warn each other in all sorts of ways. In a sermon like this, sure. But in a text message, in a community group, in our conversations, in our prayers with each other. And look how else we're to do it in verse 16 with all wisdom, through psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Even our songs. In fact, what does he say? Especially our songs are to declare the gospel message about Christ to each other as we sing with gratitude in our hearts. You know, it's why hopeless song words are just no good for us. It's why half-hearted singing is so unhelpful. 
and so ungrateful. As a community, the message about Christ, it, it needs to touch everything we do. Genuinely touch everything we do. We remind each other Christ is Lord and Saviour. We remind each other we're forgiven by Him. Reconciled to Him. Raised with Him. And so we help each other see that our identity is in Christ. We say to each other over and over again in all sorts of different ways, be who you are in Christ. Be now who you already are in Christ. Keep faith and carry on being who you are in Christ. Let's pray that God will help us do that. Father, open our eyes to see just how astounding your vision for humanity is. That we can already see it when we lift our eyes and look at Christ. That's your vision for us. Lord, help us to set our minds and hearts on Christ, our future, our identity. Help us to see the waste, the ridiculousness it is to set our hearts and minds on things that are just rubbish compared to Him. Lord, we struggle at this. You see more than we do how much we struggle at this. We need Your work, the work of Your Spirit in our lives to direct our minds and hearts to Jesus, our Lord and Saviour our identity, our future. Help our community to be changed and we thank you that we are changed by him. Renew our call to sexual purity, to speak the truth in love, to use our words to build people up, to be a community of real forgiveness, to celebrate amongst us the message about Jesus constantly in everything we do, in our singing, in everything we do to do it with all of our hearts in the name of Jesus. And we pray in his name. Amen.